This lecture, I'm going to talk about mergers and acquisitions in healthcare. And the reason is, if you assume that the seismic shift in healthcare is mostly about Obamacare, I think you're not seeing the large part of the picture. A more paramount transformational element is the wave of acquisitions taking place. Now, why is this happening? One could argue that the Affordable Care Act spurred mergers by adding pressure to cut costs, but it most likely only sped up the inevitable. No matter what healthcare transition was destined to happen, cost cutting was going to be part of the plan. Now, needless to say, most remain skeptical that big, powerful, consolidated corporations will actually cut costs for long. Acquisition, whether it is a hospital system or a private equity firm or a health plan doing the acquiring, allows for system delivery changes. It's not always just about market share. In fact, those acquiring simply for market share will likely fail in the long run. Those focused on how an acquired population will be managed have a greater chance for success. Likewise, if one strategy is forcing higher payments by increasing size and muscle, they will lose to those looking to deliver better value, access, and capability. At least, I hope that's the case. Now, in an attempt to form ambitious partnerships as a competitive strategy, many large organizations created dedicated merger and acquisition teams. I'm going to say M&A for merger and acquisitions from here on out. Even if most of us will not directly negotiate an M&A, they are so common in healthcare that everybody, every doctor, every nurse practitioner, every nurse should understand the basics. With so much consolidation and everyone catching the integration fever, there are less and less folks working outside of a big medicine paradigm with each passing year. And likewise, for doctors groups, with each completed merger and acquisition, the competition for physicians heightens. The fear of being on the sideline too long is also reasonable. Will you have bargaining and purchasing clout in the future if you are too small? How much redundancy could be eliminated if you operated on a larger economy of scale? Such fears result in defensive deals resulting from worry about competitor acquisitions. Practices and hospitals fear they will miss out on being part of the power team. So defensive deals can result in mistakes. Negative margins may accumulate while an acquirer learns how to fix a transaction that lacks clarity. By definition, M&As will have a degree of uncertainty because uncertainty happens with every major change. I've been on several sides of such transactions. When I started in a big practice, big organizations were actively trying to acquire us. When I was employed by a hospital system as a chief medical officer, that hospital system was acquiring practices. Valuable lessons were always learned whether a deal was successful or failed. When a merger doesn't happen, it may be for the best, but it can leave some negative feelings. Completed M&As can be successful or turn sour and lead to costly divestitures. Cultural incompatibility can be particularly alienating for providers of an organization when there is a recent acquisition. When unresolved disagreements mount, 
the tensions hurt the entire mission and business. For example, a Catholic hospital will have a difficult time merging with gynecologists that perform tubal ligations or urologists that perform vasectomies. Those specialists often exist within a multi-specialty group that is acquired. In such circumstances, I would suggest letting those specialists stay in private practice without handcuffs. At a minimum, don't hold them to a non-compete so it's clear they can leave if irreconcilable circumstances exist. Now let's get back to the reason as to why M&As are happening. Ideally, mergers and acquisitions will decrease supply costs, allow for economies of scale, allow for collaboration, and increase the geographic reach of an organization. Referral patterns can strengthen a health system, Brand extension improves marketing efficiency. However, irrational exuberance should not overstate the benefit both sides will obtain from the deal. Otherwise, both parties will be let down when such promises don't materialize. Operational efficiency is a goal, but strategic benefits won't necessarily happen the first month. For example, it may make sense to have a goal to centralize medication distribution systems to reduce cost and waste. However, it may take a couple years to transition from planning to actually going live and right-sizing inventory. Likewise, forcing IT integration the first month or the first few months can be a disaster for staff morale. During a merger rollout, you don't want to crash revenue streams just for the sake of integration. Be flexible and adjust to the conditions on the ground. The closing of an M&A is just the beginning. Conquering is actually easier than ruling. Post-merger is the time to execute on the action plan. That is when the real work starts. Complexity, it's the expectation when working in healthcare. Phase it in while keeping momentum. Realistic action plans don't expect every obstacle to be overcome immediately. At the same time, there must be people tasked with monitoring progress. These people need to be skilled at relationship building, so the desired timelines for integration are successfully communicated and quantifiable measures are realized. Accountability does not mean the integration team leaders need to force progress that will be detrimental in the long term. Strategy adjustment is why we need real people instead of computers managing the plan. Obviously, you have to be very careful when setting up an M&A deal. At the same time, the speed of closing a deal is important to a successful M&A. If both parties spend too much time thinking about every scenario in detail, they both tend to get cold feet. Objectively assessing the transaction is different than obsessing about minutia in every possible what-if scenario. Define the non-negotiable items early and see if you can rapidly work through them. If that is not possible, do not waste time on a deal that clearly can't be achieved. All right, I wanna take a few minutes just to talk about insurance mergers 
because no discussion of healthcare mergers would be complete without addressing the insurance industry. How did the insurance industry respond to the increased bargaining power from consolidated providers and systems? Acquisitions beget acquisitions. To control reimbursement rates, insurers needed to increase their own bargaining power. Obtaining that control comes from decreasing the variety of insurance products customers can choose from. Less competition increases the negotiating leverage of insurance companies. That is achieved by merging through buyouts. While large healthcare corporations have their own weight to throw around, smaller practices and hospitals become ever more squeezed by insurance mega-mergers. The American Medical Association has been critical of a more concentrated insurance market. Unfortunately, it seems unlikely that savings achieved from increased efficiency would be passed on to consumers, in my own opinion at least. Now, an interesting thing to note is that while medical insurance companies are interested in purchasing each other, they have been less enthusiastic about purchasing physician practices. They tried, and many didn't enjoy the experience. An example is Humana. They purchased Concentra for a hefty $790 million in 2010, and they did that so they could directly employ physicians and hopefully, in their minds, control frontline delivery. They had some trouble managing providers and decided it was no longer for them. So in 2015, they had the opportunity to sell Concentra and Humana happily sold it off to a private equity firm. While there are definitely insurance companies that have purchased large physician practices, like OptumCare, which is an arm of United Healthcare, there is not a tidal wave of such acquisitions occurring. And at this point in time, only a very small minority of primary care providers are employed by insurance companies in the United States. That may change. However, it seems that some insurance companies have learned that controlling costs through contracts is easier than directly governing physicians. Incentivizing providers to figure out how to be efficient might work better for them than trying to control doctors directly. The major reason for healthcare mergers are power, money, control, and hopefully there is a silver lining that results in greater efficiency. I mean, hey, let's keep our fingers crossed that the talk of those greater efficiencies resulting in lower premiums and out-of-pocket costs are not empty promises, but something tells me that the savings will be kept as profits and not passed on to patients or providers. You have been listening to Dr. Gil Parat. Adios, amigos.